0: Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles people who are passionate about what they do for a living, what organization they belong to, or the community they are a part of. Here is your host, Dave Cunningham. Thank you, Steve. Hello, everyone, and welcome. The 2020 Tokyo Olympics were games like no other. To start with, they were delayed a year due to COVID. Athletes had to deal with that postponement as well as restrictive measures designed to protect them while in Japan. Our guest was part of Team Canada competing in the sailing events. How does an athlete prepare? What was the experience like? What happens when the athlete gets home? All of that in our conversation with Kingstonian Allie Tenho. Allie, welcome back.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Congratulations on your performance at the Olympics.
1: Thank you. I'm very proud to represent
0: Kingston. I think a lot of people know that Kingston has a reputation for being one of the best freshwater sailing places in the world. And I think some people even remember the fact that back in 1976, the Montreal Olympics held the sailing events here in Mm -hmm. town. Where did you get your interest in sailing? How did that start?
1: Yeah, well, exactly what you said. Kingston has such an incredible history of sailing excellence and just a connection to the water. I think it's such a great location, nestled right where Lake Ontario becomes the St. Lawrence River, and it's great how accessible the water is to Kingstonians. Uh, I myself grew up sailing out of the Kingston Yacht Club. Um, my my father was a big sailor. He actually also sailed in the Olympics in 1984. And I think because of that, he was always sailing himself. Um, And from a young age, I was also, you know, sailing on his boat with him just for fun. Mm -hmm. So I grew up just doing it as a summer camp, really, out of the Kingston Yacht Club. They have a really great summer camp for kids. And yeah, from there, my passion for the sport really just grew.
0: Is there anything technical about Kingston's location on the globe that makes sailing such a good thing here?
1: Yeah, so in the summer, there's what's called a Kingston thermal, which is pretty much like a conveyor belt effect of heat rising over the land. And then the cool air from the lake coming in to uh, fill. So I think because our city is like the perfect size, where where, you know, Toronto is quite big, so it will hold heat overnight, like from the city, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But Kingston's the right size. So it will heat up during the day, but it'll still get a bit colder at night. Um, And because of that, that Allows for perfect um, conditions for what's called a thermal, mm-hmm. um, which means that there's great, strong, consistent winds in Kingston throughout the summer, um, and we call them champagne sailing conditions. It, it <laughs> doesn't get much doesn't get much better than that.
0: When people are watching sailing events, and there are lots of competitions that take place off the shores of Kingston throughout mm-hmm. the summer, and you can watch them from land, but you really don't get a good sense of what's going on out on the mm-hmm. water. And I think some people might notice the fact that there are some boats that are smaller and some boats that are larger. Mm-hmm. And in competition, there are various classes. How many classes are there when it comes to competition?
1: Oh, I don't even know. There's infinite number of classes. In oh, is there? Of- Okay. Yeah, so there's so many different types of boats built by so many different boat builders from around the world. And I think that's what makes sailing so cool is that there's just so many different boats to try out and to learn how to sail for Olympic classes. There's nine, I think, don't quote me on that. I really should know that, but I think there's nine (laughs) Olympic, uh, classes of sailboat and those will change. So those have changed throughout history just based on, um, I guess, like what the Olympic committee wants to see and switching in boats based on popularity and, you know, new fun technology coming Mm -hmm. out. So those have changed uh, throughout history of what boats are sailed in the Olympics. Um, But yeah, as you've said, there's just so many different types of boats out on the water. It's not the most, um, viewer friendly sport I think it is a little bit confusing especially from land it's hard to have perspective of which boat is ahead of who Mm -hmm. Um, and because we don't travel in straight lines we do this zigzag pattern up the course because you can't sail obviously straight into the wind Um, you need the wind against your sails so you sail at angles you know one boat can be on one side of the course and the other one can be on the other and it's hard to tell who's ahead until the boats meet Um, but for us that's what's exciting about the sport to be honest
0: I can remember being out on the water during, I think it was a shark class competition of Kingston, and my main concern was to get out of the way more than anything for <laughs> from the people who were racing. You race in a class that's called, what, 49er FX? Is that the way it's called?
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: So what makes your boat different from some others? Why is it called 49er FX?
1: So our boat's called the 49er FX, because the boat is 4.9 meters long. Um, Initially, there was only a 49er class, um, and that was sailed by men at the Olympics. But obviously, there's a desire to have uh, women sail these boats as well. So they recently, in 2000, I think it was 10, developed this boat called the 49er FX, which is just a smaller version. It's the same hull, the same boat, but a smaller sail area. Um, to have less power because typically women are smaller in size. So the boat is uh, yeah just more uh, manageable power range for the women to hold at our given weight. But exact same boat, um, it's a skiff class, which means that it's a flat bottom boat and it almost skips along the water like if you were to to skip a stone. So our boats are extremely fast. I think probably the second fastest boat in Olympic sailing Uh, will travel faster than the wind speed. So if the wind's going downwind, we'll go even faster than that.
0: Now in sailing, it's either one person or two person, two mm-hmm. people in a boat, right? So the 49er FX is a two-person boat.
1: Yeah, right? I sail with a woman named Mariah Millen. Yeah. She's my crew and I'm the skipper. I steer the boat.
0: Now, I'm curious to know that uh, as you have progressed in your sailing competitions, at some particular point, you met Mariah, but she's not from Kingston. I'm curious to know how you hook up with somebody like that when you're not in the same community and you're trying to develop a relationship that has to be very symbiotic.
1: Yeah, definitely. So she's from Toronto. She actually lives on Toronto Island. Um, But while you say we don't come from the same community, at the end of the day, the sailing community is so small. So (laughs) we really do come from the same community. Uh, We were um, introduced by mutual friends. So there's pretty much a mutual friend that was uh, coaching me and and he was also coaching Mariah. And he just thought he knew that I was looking for someone to sail with and said, you know, I met this woman named Mariah. I think she'd be a really good fit for you. So we actually set up a date. We went up for dinner at Atomica in Kingston. Uh, And just really got to know each other, because at the end of the day, I think the sailing skills on the water can be learned. But being on the same page, having the same core values, having the same mindset is something that was so important to us. And so we were really lucky. We hit it off right away. um, And we're a great fit for each other.
0: When it comes to competition, you have to go basically to all points of the globe to compete to be able to get into the Olympics itself. Can you describe the process of competition and how many, well, not how many races, but the trajectory to go from being a new partnership to being in the Olympics?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think people see us at the Olympics and that's a really cool event, but our story is so much bigger than that one week long event. We've been together for five years, Four years really competing. The first year we mostly spent just learning the boat and mostly swimming, to be honest, because these boats flip quite easily. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was really a four-year journey for us where, you know, typically we do five regattas a year. It um, dep- really depends on the year. And with COVID, obviously that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, five regattas a year and full-time training. So I had finished my engineering degree at Queens, so I was able to train full-time. And there's something called a there's a World Cup circuit. So there's a series of regattas that will happen each year. But then there are also a series of regattas, um, for example, the European Championships and the World Championships, which change location each year. So that's pretty cool because we get to see and travel to new places, you know, really experience different cultures, which is great. Um, but the qualification system, I don't know if you really want me to get into it because it's kind of complicated, but you first have to qualify the country. So it's not like every country that wants to go to the Olympics gets a spot. There's right. only 20 in in our class. There's only 21 countries that get a spot. So you first have to get Canada a spot. So you work mm-hmm. with the other Canadian teams. You don't work with them, but you know, you're, you you have the same common goal. We just want Canada to have a spot. Right. And then once Canada gets a spot, then uh, Canada will set out guidelines to how they will select who gets to represent Canada at the Olympics. So then we do another series of competitions to, for that to be decided.
0: So it's like soccer where the soccer teams have to compete to qualify to actually have a place in the Olympics. Okay. exactly. Uh, When you were qualifying at these various regattas, is it just you and Mariah or do you have a team of people that support you?
1: So we have a coach that we work with um, who's provided to us by the federation. Uh, And then there are other Canadian teams that are also competing. So it depends on the competition, but normally we'll have three to four Canadian teams Mm -hmm. there um, that we train with and work together with under the guidance of our head coach.
0: Now, how do you get the logistics of uh, getting from place to place and in particular, the boat itself? Do you bring your boat or do you use a boat somewhere I think
1: think that's a great question because I think people don't really realize that, uh, you know, we don't have people working behind the scenes to sort that out for us. That's, that's our job. And so Mm -hmm. it really is a full time job to sort out, you know, not only logistics of our team traveling for figuring out our accommodation flights and all that stuff, but also our boat. So these boats are so large, it would be incredibly expensive to fly with them on a plane. So we put them in shipping containers um but based on our competition schedule it can be a little bit of a puzzle because you know this boat needs to get down to australia and then to japan but meanwhile you have a competition in um, europe somewhere so uh, we have to sort that all out and also make sure that our boats don't get damaged in the process because Mm -hmm. they're quite quite fragile when shipping them
0: when it comes to uh, moving towards the olympics so you qualify to go to the olympics in tokyo and you are training to go there. So what does your training involve as you are preparing to go to Tokyo?
1: Um, I think this is, I mean, this is a bit of a different year. I think the training would have looked a little bit differently without COVID. So um, typically, so, you know, when COVID hit or kind of when the world stopped a little bit in March, last March, we were already ramping up too, because we were ready to compete in, in right. July and that training um you know, we strategically choose competitions that will match conditions and the training environment to what it would be like in Japan. So we, because we're on the water and different water all around the world provides different challenges, whether that's wind patterns, current, big waves, little waves, flat water. Um, So we typically uh, program our training surrounding what it's gonna be like in Japan. With COVID, we were unable to really travel internationally up until maybe January of uh, 2021. And because of that, we actually were provided with a really unique opportunity to experience some more Canadian waters. So we were actually went out training off Vancouver Island in a place called Comox, which was freezing. We were training there in December (laughs) and there was ice on our boats in the morning, um, which was completely opposite to Japan training, which was 47 degrees when we were racing there but it was a really great opportunity um, to experience the beauty of uh, sailing in Canada. Uh, And definitely we built some Canadian grit.
0: I think what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind is describe for us, the the impact on you mentally, if you're gearing up to go to Japan in 2020, but then you find out that because of COVID, it's postponed, and you're not really sure if it's going to happen in 2021, what's going through your mind as you are gearing up and then being disappointed by not being able to go last year?
1: Yeah, well, I, I had some heartbreak in 2016. I qual- uh, We had qualified the country to go in 2016, but we weren't selected as Uh, no team was selected actually. So i already kind of experienced a little bit of heartbreak for the Rio Olympics. Um, And so then when this one came around and I don't know if you remember, but before we found out the Olympics were postponed, all we knew is that Canada was boycotting it. So in, in theory, Canadians weren't going, but there was a potential it was still going to happen. And so that, um, you know, for those few days while we waited to hear, okay, actually, no, it's postponed. Canada will send a team next time, likely. Um, That was heartbreak all over again of, you know, working so hard and kind of feeling like it it was pulled away from you. Um, But that being said, I think as soon as we found out it was postponed, I was actually amazed how quickly we snapped back into, you know, adaptation and kind of problem-solving mode. And the way I viewed it is, you know, at that given time, it wasn't just us in lockdown, almost the entire world was in lockdown, there was no competitions, no training. And I was like, I am going to lock down better than all my competitors, you know, <laughs> so I, uh, it was a cool opportunity to put things on pause, reevaluate, reshift goals. Um, so actually, in hindsight, it was a really unique opportunity.
0: What was the experience like landing in Tokyo, knowing that you were going to be competing in the Olympics? What What's the experience like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty incredible to be at a multi-sport event and, you know, the honor of representing Canada. That being said, we had so much to do because when we got there, we have to set up our boats. And normally we would arrive maybe a month, at least three weeks early. But here we are arriving, it was like just under two weeks before we race. So we were under the the clock to uh, make sure that we got our boats ready and everything was going to be good to go for competition. So I don't think I had a lot of time to kind of take it in. Wow. I'm at the Olympics and we were also at a satellite village. So we weren't actually staying in the main village with all all the other athletes. So we didn't have that, you know, added effect of, wow, look at that track star, or, you know, look at this tennis player. Um, So honestly, I didn't really realize or didn't really hit me that, you know, I was sailing at the Olympic games, until we were sailing out to the race course and as we were sailing out I started crying I was happy crying but uh, my partner's like stop crying like we have to focus but I was just laughing because I was it just had hit me in that moment of wow this is really it and I was just so proud of myself but mostly my partner Mariah and our team of how much we've overcome Um, so that was a really special moment for me.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier that your dad had participated in the Olympics in 1984 in sailing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that along the way, he has given you advice as you enter different competitions of different regattas. Was the advice he may have given you with respect to the Olympics any different from the advice he may have given you for other regattas? So
1: my dad over the years has, you know, more or less taken a back seat in respect to my sailing career. And I think but that's actually been a really great thing because it allowed me to develop this passion for the sport as my own, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was departing for Tokyo about to leave, I really leaned on him for advice because this was, you know, uncharted waters, part of the pun. Um, and the best advice he gave me was to live in the moment and to also just come out each race with a clean slate, like come to each race with a clean slate, ready to leave at a, leave it on the water and ready to fight. Um, and the other advice he gave me, which I reflected on a lot, was that in double-handed sailing, we have the advantage of having a teammate. And mm. we can use that teammate to lean on, to you know, help pick you up when, when you're down, to bounce ideas off of, problem solve, and just to enjoy the moment with. So I think that that uh, was some great advice that I definitely used in Tokyo.
0: When it comes to the... Things you may have done after your competitions were over. I gather that most of the competitors had to leave fairly quickly after they were finished competing. Did that apply to you?
1: Yeah, so we had 48 hours to leave Tokyo okay. after you were eliminated. Um, so there was no celebrations, uh, no mingling with other athletes. It was pack up and, and go home.
0: No tours of Tokyo or Japan or anything. No,
1: which is really too bad because we had previously gone to the Olympic test event in the same area, Enoshima Bay, and it would have been such an amazing area for you know for us to tour, but also for friends and family if they were able to come to tour. So it's really too bad, um, but I recommend. Uh, visiting Japan for sure.
0: When you came back, uh, I saw a report, I think it was on a news article or somewhere about you that said that you were coming back and you were interested in promoting women getting into sport or uh, people getting involved generally into sport. Give us a sense of what your motives are and what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, so I'm extremely passionate about uh, promoting high performance sport and just sport in general to the up and coming age group, but specifically for women. Um, so I just believe that you know, the power of sport, the power of pursuing excellence um, teaches you so many valuable lessons. And I, my hope is to teach young women to embrace this culture and to champion other young women to do the same. Um, and so I started this program called um, Women Sailing to Success. And this program was, it's kind of in its infancy stage, but I guess because of COVID, not last year, but the year before we ran a series of clinics and talks where we'd just bring together young women in sailing. Um, One as a network opportunity, I think, you know, we do have a strong sailing community, but we are spread out all over the country. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, I I sailed with a woman from Nova Scotia. I also sailed with Mariah, who's now in Toronto. So you can really team up with people from all across uh, our nation. And then I also, it was really important for me to have uh, strong role model figures for these women. So I got the other uh, female athletes on the national team to come to this clinic and we were able to share our stories, um, you know, answer any questions that they had and just kind of tell them about how cool our lives life, are and uh, the amazing opportunities that come with pursuing sport at the next level.
0: I know it's early on, but what kind of impact are you having or reaction are you having to people in the community generally? Well,
1: I guess with respect to these clinics, I've already seen some of these young women who came to these clinics now entering uh, Olympic class sailing. And so I was actually at a regatta. I was walking around and talking to some of these athletes when I returned home and a few of them I saw. And it was just such a full circle moment for me of how, you know, they had reached out to me after and said, you know, I think this is something I want to do. And now see them doing it is, is quite amazing.
0: That's awesome. You had said before that uh, we have three years before the next Olympics. Mm-hmm. And you are taking a little bit of time off and then you're right back into training. Now, does Canada have to re-qualify to participate in the Olympics in Paris as a country?
1: Yes, we do. And I think because of COVID and a lot of competitions being canceled, that qualification system has been shuffled around. So we're still waiting to hear from it. Mm -hmm. But um, the first qualification opportunity will either be next summer where our world championships are actually in St. Margaret's Bay. It's the first time our worlds have ever been in Canada. So it's quite exciting. Um, Or they will be in The Hague in the Netherlands in the
0: following year. Now, what kind of training are you doing in the lead up to qualifying for Paris?
1: So that's kind of what um, our main focus is right now is to structure a program and create a vision of, you know, what do the next three years look like for us to be on that podium and win Canada a medal? So that's what we're doing right now. And I think it's a really important stage and something we're taking our time with and putting a lot of thought into connecting with a lot of uh, successful athletes and coaches to get their input. Um, Yeah. So to be honest, to be determined, um, but it definitely will be more focused in on some of our weaknesses. We have a lot of takeaways from this quad. We've learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think now we can kind of focus in on some areas that will help us get on that
0: podium. Now is this full-time thing for athletes at your level?
1: It is. Yeah. So when I was uh, campaigning in the previous quad, I was doing uh, school. I was doing my engineering degree as well as campaigning. And it makes such a difference when you can really do it full time. You know, there's barely enough hours in the day for us to get our training in, our workouts in, fuel. And then on top of that, we have to be full time logistics and fundraising for mm-hmm. our team. So it's very difficult to do um, while in school. And, I'm, you know, I, I made it work but uh, in terms of results and uh, high performance driven, it's a full-time job.
0: Now, when do you see yourself getting back to mechanical engineering?
1: I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to see. Um, yeah, I'll definitely get a bit of a refresher course, but I think the skills that, that my engineering degree taught me is mm-hmm. work ethic, problem solving, and those are transferable to so many skills. So, You know, I I reflect on kind of what my next steps will be, but I'm confident that, uh, you know, whatever I choose, I'll, with my, with my work ethic, it, it should be fine.
0: You've been an inspiration to a lot of people around here. And I thank you very much for your time and all the best as you move towards Paris.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for reaching out.
0: Ali Tenho, just back from competing in the 49er FX sailing event at the Tokyo Olympics. Our thanks not only for her time, but for representing Kingston and Canada. This episode was recorded on september first, twenty twenty one, using Zoom. The theme music for the podcast is Stasis Oasis, written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of the episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian Podcast at gmail.com. For details on upcoming guests, follow us on Facebook. The Kingstonian Podcast is hosted by Dave Cunningham and produced in Kingston, Ontario, Canada.